Okay, our Sunday School lesson uh, this week is the Transfiguration, uh, which is very appropriate for our season. The season of Epiphany, of course, always ends. Every year we always end the season of Epiphany with the story of Transfiguration, so that will be coming up on Sunday in a few weeks, uh, because it is kind of the ultimate proclamation of Christ's deity and the fact that uh, God himself has become man for the sake of our salvation. So very important uh, lesson, very important to the season, very important to us. And of course that truth that Jesus is the Son of God is going to be the main theme throughout this entire lesson. We're going to see that emphasized over and over and over again uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is true God, and that it is through him and only through him that we receive salvation and come to the Father. And so um, the law, the failure of man's part, uh, the failure on man's part is a, a, an attempt to come to God in, in any other way or a, a despising of Christ and his means of grace as something too simple, too obvious. Uh, and we'll talk about that as we go through this section. But then the gospel is here is God in the form of man. So Matthew 17 verses 1 to 9. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led him up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So Jesus goes up on a mountain, and this is very important symbolically throughout the Old Testament. Uh, you constantly have people going up the mountain in order to come before God. Jerusalem itself was up on a high mountain. And so whenever in scripture anyone goes to Jerusalem, they always go up to Jerusalem because you're going up to God. And God, of course, is above us, uh, symbolically speaking. Of course, you know, physically speaking, he's here with us, but symbolically speaking, he is up above us. And so Moses went up the mountain and there he saw the burning bush and met God. And later after he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he went up the mountain again and stood before the face of God. And Abraham went up the mountain in, in order to offer his son uh, Isaac as a sacrifice to God, uh, symbolically looking forward to Christ. And Elijah went up on top of the mountain uh, to uh, offer the the, uh, the mount. Um, Mount Carmel, uh, when he offered the sacrifice to God and the lightning came down from heaven. And then even later when Elijah ran into the desert, the Lord said, go up uh, onto the mountain. So there's this constant theme throughout scripture uh, of God calling his people to go up the mountains uh, to see God. Now that, of course, is only symbolic. Uh, and in fact, the going up on the mountain really emphasizes the fact that by ourselves we, we cannot uh, reach God uh, because uh, going up the mountain in reality isn't getting us any closer to God. And a good illustration with the kids is well, you know, think of Mount Everest and how high that is and how long it would take to climb Mount Everest. Now, when you get to the top of Mount Everest, are you any closer uh, to, for example, the moon? Or you could even say, uh, for example, the sun. Technically, yes, you're, you're a few miles closer, but the moon is 239,000 miles away from the Earth, and Mount Everest is only five and a half miles high so even after all that effort of climbing up that mount everest and it would take a lot of time and a lot of effort and most people you know die trying to do it you're only 
five miles out of 239,000 miles closer. So you still have 238,994 miles yet to go. Uh, you really haven't made any progress. And this is true when people attempt to find their own way to God the Father. Uh, they try and try and try and try, and after all that effort, they're not really any closer. So symbolically, going up of the mountain reminds us that God is holy and above us, but in reality, it's not enough to get us to God the Father. But here we see Jesus going up the mountain, and there we can make it to God the Father. So it's not the mountain uh, that allows access to the Father, but Jesus who is who is on the mountain. And this also, we re we're reminded of John chapter 1, when Jesus tells Nathaniel, uh, you will see... Uh, you will see the heavens open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which, of course, is a reference back to uh, the dream of uh, Jacob, who saw the heavens open and the ladder going to heaven and the ladder. And by means of that ladder, the angels were going up and down uh, into heaven. And that ladder is Jesus. So climbing the mountain, our own efforts, never going to get us to God. But here is Jesus who opens the way for us. And we're going to see that in this transfiguration. On top of the mountain, Jesus was transfigured. And the word there in the Greek is the word metamorphosed. The same word we use for when a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. This wasn't just a uh, like a bright light shining on him, and and therefore you know everything kind of seems uh, brighter. His body was actually transfigured. It was actually changed into the glory of God. And only a very small percentage of the very the, the glory of God, maybe even 0.0001% of the glory of God. Otherwise. Uh, Peter, uh, James, and John would have been destroyed looking at it, but even that small percentage is enough uh, to display Christ's glory to, this, to, the, to these people. So his body is not just—it's not just a vision. Later on in Matthew, Jesus is going to—he's going to call it a vision, or at least the English word is vision. But that's a—that's a little deceptive. It's not just like God made it appear uh, like this light or, or whatever. But no, Christ's body was actually change actually transfigure the same way you start with that caterpillar and then it, it blossoms into that beautiful butterfly and that's a reminder of also our bodies as well are going to be changed uh, when we die when we go to heaven transfigured in something new and glorious not not the full glory that Jesus has as the Son of God, to be sure, but uh, in a very similar way, uh, perfect and holy and righteous and and uh, reflecting God's God's glory. And now notice that it says his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Uh, and this, of course, is a reminder back to Moses. When Moses went and stood in the presence of God and then he came down to the people of Israel, his face shone with the glory of God. But there's a big difference here because Moses's face shone with the reflected glory of God. He was standing in the presence of God and that, that light kind of seeped into him and then was given off when he went down, uh, kind of the way that um, the um, those um, 
you you have those lights or those things that that soak up light during the day and then uh, they kind of give off kind of a green uh, light uh, you know at the night that was moses uh, he was just reflecting uh, the glory of god when he stood in his presence but that's not true of jesus here his is not a reflected glory but a radiant glory it comes from him himself and it's the glory that he had with the father as the bible tells us before he was born uh, and now it's being revealed slightly a little bit not the full glory but some of it is is being revealed uh, it's his own glory and so it's that greater much greater glory uh than moses had and, and the other difference too was moses it was only his face so that's important uh in the in the scripture here as well when moses uh came down from mount sinai from speaking to god it was only his face that shone with the glory of the father but here it's not just his face but it's his whole body and even his clothes even the clothes that he's wearing are transfigured they become holy heavenly clothes uh shining with the glory that was his from the beginning and so uh, right away he's he's the scriptures and, and the father is showing us that jesus is the prophet who was to come prophesied by moses he's making that connection back to moses and yet greater because it's not a reflected glory but a radiant glory uh just like the moon and uh, peter makes this analogy later on uh, but just like the moon is well that's a reflected glory so that's like moses reflecting that's like us reflecting the glory of god uh, but the sun is makes its own light its own glory a radiant glory so jesus is here is is the radiant glory of the sun and behold moses and elijah appeared to them talking with him talking with jesus and, and in fact in some of the other gospels it tells us what moses and elijah were talking about they were talking about his coming death and resurrection and so moses and elijah were there to comfort and support him and and give him strength for the work that that he was about to do which he very much needed but it's not insignificant that it's moses and elijah uh there are other people we might think uh, in the old testament well they were uh, maybe greater believers uh, of course you have enoch who was taken directly to heaven because of his great faith and maybe well, why doesn't god send them but moses and elijah are very significant for the jewish people uh, throughout scriptures we constantly hear the jews referring to the old testament as moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets and and so they very much saw the scriptures as two parts uh, you have the law given through moses the first five books in which god lays out his law and then you have the prophets uh, who, who speak of the coming of Christ. And so here we have the whole Old Testament represented Moses uh, representing the law in the first five books and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. He, he, God calls him the greatest of the prophets, representing all the prophets of the Old Testament. And so you have all the Old Testament scripture here being represented coming to Christ and serving Christ. And so in the presence of Moses and Elijah, there is a call from God to Peter, James, and John, and then later on to the other Christians who heard about it through them, uh, to recognize uh, that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is merely there to look forward to and point the way to Christ and to his crucifixion, because that's what uh, Moses and the prophets talked about uh, in the Old Testament. That's what all the scriptures talked about. That's what they're talking about here. They came uh, back. They, they came back to earth for a little bit to talk to Jesus about his coming crucifixion and resurrection, which is the same thing that they were talking about when they were on the earth the first time. And what they 
wrote in the scriptures. Uh, and so you have this this pointing, this this constant pointing in this whole account of Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. Jesus as the fulfillment as Moses and Elijah. All of the Old Testament being represented, pointing to Christ and pointing to his crucifixion. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, Peter says something very foolish here, and it's easy for us to point the figure, but uh, we could totally understand in his place the fear, the uncertainty. What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to say? And Peter per normal uh kind of opens his mouth uh before he really thinks about what he's going to say and in fact in some of the other gospels it tells us specifically that peter said this because he was afraid uh standing in that glory of god he's like what do we do now what what is the right thing to do and the only thing he can think of is well let's let's make a temple uh, let's worship uh because here we see this this glory of god being portrayed for us and and well, he shouldn't have suggested making a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah. We worship Jesus and him only. But again, you, you know, you could kind of understand his mindset. I mean, it's wrong, but you can kind of understand it that uh, he's like, oh, oh, okay, we, we should worship Jesus. Now, should I leave Moses and Elijah out? It's kind of like when you're planning for your wedding and you, you're trying to invite people and you're, you're trying to keep the guest list small. But if you invite this person, you feel like you, you got to invite that person and that person too. And so in the moment and in his fear, uh, Peter is kind of like, okay, we make a tabernacle for Jesus. But now wait a bit, wait a minute. What about Moses and Elijah? Uh, should, should we leave them out? We better build a, a tabernacle for them too. And, and of course it's wrong. You, you shouldn't be doing that. And it's wrong, not only because he's suggesting worshiping Moses and Elijah, but, but also because uh, that's not really the point. He's missing the point. He, you know, he sees it as, oh, here is the glory of God in this place. And, and Jacob makes a similar mistake when he sees that vision of the ladder uh, going to heaven. And he wakes up and he says, surely God is in this place. And I, I'll build an altar for God in this place. And I'll worship God when I come back to this place. And it's not the place that's important. It's not the mountain that's important. The thing that's important is, Jesus, right? Uh, so building a tabernacle in that place is kind of missing the point, and he should be looking to Jesus instead, but the Father is about to set him set him right here. Uh, verse 5, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So we have the voice of the Father speaking three times uh, in the New Testament, and um, there are many who believe, and there's good reason for this, that this is the only time Jesus, that the Father speaks to mankind. Uh, that every time the Old Testament one talks about God speaking, the burning bush at the top of Mount Sinai, uh, when God uh, appeared to Abraham, that that is all Jesus Christ. And what the Father says here really gives credence to that because he says the one thing he has to say to humans, to the disciples and to us, is listen to my son, this is my beloved son, you listen to him. And so the implication there is everything we need to know and everything we need to hear is going to come from the son and we don't need to kind of find the father. 
and uh, there's there's some law there too because a lot of times people try and find God, they try and find the Father apart from Jesus, and they're not going to find him. There is no way to the Father except through Jesus, and the Father is emphasizing that in our text. Hear him. Listen to him. It is through Jesus that we come to God, that we come to know the Father, and only through Jesus. Um and so that's the, the one thing uh, that the Father has to say to us uh, and everything else we learn from, from the Father, or for, sorry, from the Son. Uh, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. And that is very significant right there. The Father speaks to them from the clouds saying, Listen to Jesus. And they fall down and then... The Father is gone, and Moses and Elijah is gone. So it's very, and Jesus alone is left, right? And that's very significant for two reasons. First of all, Moses and Elijah are gone. And remember, Moses and Elijah are there as representatives of the whole Old Testament. They're gone, and Jesus is left. And so this is a lesson that was very difficult for the early Christian church to learn. The Old Testament is gone. The law of Moses is gone. The sacrifices and the temple are gone. They're no longer important. They were only there until the coming of Christ. Now Christ is here, Christ has come, and Moses and Elijah are gone. The Old Testament are gone. Christ is greater, and Christ has replaced them. So when the Peter, James, and John look up, Jesus is there. Everything else is gone. And, and, and uh, they should have learned right then uh, that lesson that, okay, the Old Testament regulations uh, don't matter anymore. The 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 sacrifices don't matter anymore. The temple doesn't matter anymore. We have Jesus, which was the whole point of all of that. Uh, of course, it, it takes them a little longer to learn that lesson, and it probably would have taken us a little longer to, to learn that as well. Um, you know, after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, but here, here we see it very vividly demonstrated. And then the other thing is the Father is gone, right? And Jesus alone is left. And so once again, emphasizing the very thing the Father said, listen to Jesus. Uh, there is no way to the Father except through Jesus. The Father is gone. Jesus is there. He is the one that we can come to and listen to and, and hear him. So, uh, Moses and Elijah are gone. Old Testament is gone. The Father is gone. Jesus is there. He is the ladder, the way to God. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And this strikes us a little bit odd at first. Like, well, why is Jesus telling them not to talk about what they saw? But we see very clearly in our account that Peter, James, and John are very confused. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the implication. They don't understand what kind of Messiah Jesus is. And, you know, Jesus, this is Jesus' inner, you know, inner circle, his most trusted disciples. If they're so confused, imagine how confused other people are going to be uh, if, if Peter and James and John tell them about this. And so Jesus says, wait, because you don't understand it now. But after the, after the resurrection at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's going to be given. Then you're going to be able to understand it. And then you're going to be able to share what happens here the correct way with the correct understanding, showing people that all the Old Testament and all the prophets are pointing to Christ. And that is the thing uh, that, that we're supposed 
supposed to learn. And so it's it's something that Peter, James, and John are told, okay, keep quiet until uh, the, you receive the Holy Spirit and you're going to be able to talk about it correctly. Um, so one of the one of the chief lessons here that we learn in uh, the account of the transfiguration of Jesus is well we can see the disciples they're confused they're, they're not really understanding and throughout the story you see the this realization on the part of the disciples a realization that they didn't really have before that yes Jesus is truly the Christ, the Son of God. And in some of the other accounts, in fact, uh, Peter, James, and John, well, sorry, in Matthew, if you read a little bit further, uh, as they're coming down the mountain, it's not in other, it's in Matthew. Maybe you just have to read a little further. As they're coming down the mountain, they ask Jesus, saying, well, wasn't Elijah supposed to come first? And so in that question, you see a realization for them that this was definitely the Messiah. Now, Peter had already confessed it, uh, that, that uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But here it's kind of more, yes, definitely, here is the Christ, here is the son of the living God. And there, well, what about Elijah? And of course, uh, Jesus tells, well, John the Baptist was Elijah, so that did already come first. But the point is that... Um, you have this very definite revelation of Jesus as the Son of God. And for the disciples, this we can understand how this would have been a difficult thing. Now, they lived with Jesus. They they walked. They ate with Jesus. Uh, you know, they touched him. He, he was a part of their lives. And in every way, he was just an ordinary human, every way that they could see or touch or taste. I mean, I mean he did miracles, to be sure. But their daily lives uh, were living with him as an ordinary human. And so we can understand how uh, you're living with Christ like that. It's it's very easy to start doubting even when you see the miracles uh it's it's very easy to start doubting oh is this really god you know this is he, he looks like a man he seems like just an ordinary man and here in the transfiguration we see the the the, the display the, the display of his glory um bringing the disciples to that real realization yes this is the true god and that applies very much to our life as well because how do we walk with Jesus? How do we see Jesus? We see Jesus in his word. We, we walk with him in the sacrament, in, in baptism, and in the Lord's Supper. And just like the disciples were tempted to think of Jesus as just an ordinary man, we are often tempted to think of his word and the sacraments as ordinary things. It's just water. It's just wine. It's just bread. It's just a book. It's just words in a book. It's just stories. Uh, living within our daily lives is very easy to think of it in that way. Uh, but here we have in the Mount of Transfiguration, the demonstration that the glory of God is hidden in these ordinary earthly things. We can't see it most of the time, but it is there. It is truly there. And so we walk by faith. We walk based on the promises of God uh, instead of by what we can see with our eyes and hands and ears. And we wait for that final revelation of the full glory of God, which we will see on the last day. Uh, Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lessons. And of course, as always, if you have any questions, uh, give me a call or, or email me.